The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Start! You can call me Bruce. Bruce Nolan is standing by. Hey, wacky Bruce! Coming to you from an undisclosed location, this is the Bruce Exclusive. And here's your host, Bruce Nolan. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, welcome to another edition of the Bruce Exclusive. A Buffalo Rumblings podcast live. I'm your host, Bruce Nolan. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Bruce Exclusive. Welcome back. And what a fortuitous live show it is. It is about 7 o'clock p.m. Eastern time on Thursday, March 18th. And there has been some Bills news today. Though it wasn't exactly the Buffalo Bills news that we thought it would be. The entire day, I'm refreshing my feed. I'm seeing if there's any information about a potential trade for rumored Bills target, Zach Ertz, tight end from the Philadelphia Eagles. And then there's a press conference announced. And then it gets pushed back. And it's revealed that the reason why all that happened is because the Bills were signing former Chicago Bears number two overall pick out of the University of North Carolina, Mitchell Trubisky. Now, if you have listened to any of my podcasts at this time this offseason, and let's be honest, you should have. And if you didn't, shame on you. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I don't have that level of ego. But you know how I feel about backup quarterback. I specifically talked about quarterback two and how we were framing the argument around a backup quarterback and their value wrong. The common refrain is, well, if Josh Allen goes down, we're toast anyway. Well, yeah, if he goes down for the entire year, you probably are. But that's not what a backup quarterback is for. A backup quarterback is for three games. A backup quarterback is for two games. A backup quarterback is for four games. That can make a huge difference in your season. What if it's two games and one of those games is a wild card playoff game? 
that matters. And not having the entire offense go down the tubes because you have a quarterback who pulled a hammy is something that I'm interested in. Matt Barkley is an upgrade from the previous quarterback who was Derek Anderson. But that doesn't mean he was good enough to back up a passing offense that was chaired by Josh Allen, who was an MVP candidate. Mitchell Trubisky is an upgrade from Matt Barkley. And the best thing about the contract, one year, two and a half million. One year, two and a half million. Let's talk about contracts for backup quarterbacks real fast while we're on the subject. Jacoby Brissett just signed for seven and a half million dollars for the Miami Dolphins. I would much rather have Mitchell Trubisky at two and a half versus Jacoby Brissett at seven and a half. Cam Newton, 5.1. Jameis Winston, 5.5. Case Keenum's 6 million in average annual value. Uh, Yeah, I'm good with that. Nick Foles is 8 million right now. Marcus Mariota is 8.8, and they're threatening him with a cut at the Raiders because they can't afford it. Andy Dalton just signed for 10 million. Ryan Fitzpatrick signed for 10 million. Taysom Hill, $12.159 million. Now, Taysom could be the starter, but I'm personally of the opinion that Jameis Winston's probably going to start in New Orleans. But that's what the backup quarterback market looks like. A.J. McCarron was $4 million. Jeff Driscoll is $2.5 million. Tim Boyle is two and a half. We got, as a Buffalo Bills organization, Mitchell Trubisky. For the same price as Tim Boyle and Jeff Driscoll, and a smidge more than Taylor Heineke. Matt Barkley's contract was $2 million. Nate Sudfeld's contract is $2 million. I don't think I need to go on again anymore. I think I've proven my point. The value is there. I'm not saying. Mitchell Trubisky is the best quarterback in the world, and he's better than most starters, and we're thrilled. No. But value is what you give versus what you get. And Mitchell Trubisky, who is a completely reasonable backup quarterback in this league, for $2.5 million is an absolute steal, especially relative to the backup quarterback market. Now, for those of you who are listening to me live on Rocker Room, and there are a good chunk of you. At the bottom of your screen, you'll see a button that says speaker requests or request to speak. If you have something you want to talk about, a question or a take, you can hit that button. It'll alert me that you want to talk. It'll basically put you on hold. And then I will have the ability to bring you in and chat a little bit. First off, Bryce, you're on with me, buddy. What you got for me today? Hello, Bruce. Uh, nice. How you doing? I'm I'm doing well. How are you, Bruce? I'm fantastic. Uh, I want to talk about another singular position, um, mm-hmm. in, important in a different phase of the game, and that's the punter. So, uh, Matt Hawk, 
that the 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 Bills brought him in or and replaced Boho. Um, given today's comments from Brandon Bean, um, did 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 you see those comments that that Bean and McDermott made? I did about uh, Bohorkas not wanting to be here long term. Yeah, what, what's what's up with that? It's it's kind of funny. You know, I'll level with you. I it, it's a, it's a weird thing for a GM to admit having a GM who says, "Hey, here's specifically the reason why we didn't resign Corey Bohorkas." Is interesting. Now, I understand why the team would want somebody long term at a specialist position because the tender for Corey Bohorkas was going to be $2.1 million. The Bills got three years of Matt Hawk. Each one of the years had a cap hit that was beneath what one year of Corey Bohorkas would be. So I get why they did it. I would have rather just had Bohorkas for one more year, quite frankly. We can work on the long-term thing later on when we have a different puncher. If I have to re-up him for one more year and I end up losing about $600,000 in cap space, so be it. But it shines light on why they did what they did. Now, there's a completely separate argument to be made about whether or not they should have done what they did. But it's rare and it's refreshing to have a GM who is simultaneously forthcoming, but also not too blunt to be attacking players in the media. He was very open. Listen, we were on the same page with this. We wanted somebody long here, long term, and we were on the same page. That's fine. There's nothing wrong with saying that. There's nothing wrong with admitting that. It's not like he's throwing Corey Bohorkas under the bus. No punters are going to want to come to Buffalo because your GM will throw you under the bus. That's not the case at all. But I do think it's interesting that Bean was willing to tell us why. Now, would I have gone out and signed Matt Hawk to a three-year contract? Probably not. I would probably re-up Corey Bohorkas for one more year. I would have known in my back pocket that was going to be a long-term issue. Maybe draft a punter. Maybe you start looking at next year's punters, start you know, looking at next year's free agency, or or there were some potentially some punters out there that weren't Corey Bohorkas and weren't Matt Hawk, who might have been a good fit. Now, moving forward, Francesco, you are on with Bruce Nolan. What you got for me, man? Bruce, how are you, man? Big Dude, fan. it's a party. It's a party all the time. Party in the USA, Bruce. Mm-hmm. So my, I wanted to talk about the Bills' pass rush. All right, okay. I, I, my take on it is personally, I think we're overblowing a little bit how desperate the Bills are for a pass rush upgrade. My, the stat I'd like to reference is the Bills last year in 2020 were recording a 25% pressure rate in 2.5 seconds or less that trailed only the Steelers. So I think that that McDermott does, and Frazier do a really good job of manufacturing pressure with different looks. And I, I just wanted to get your opinion on that. Do you think, you know, I, I, I think a lot of guys or a lot of fans are looking for a huge upgrade in free agency. They were looking for loss. And I, I don't think we need that. I think maybe think we could probably get away with a guy at 30, like Rousseau or someone like that. Maybe uh, Jason Olway from Penn state. What are your thoughts on that? Okay. So I agree with this principle that you just said, and I agree with the principle that sometimes we have a tendency as a fan base to look at something that's less than ideal and conclude that it's terrible. And people do this with Levi Wallace all the time. Levi Wallace is not an ideal starting cornerback in the NFL, but that doesn't mean he's a bad starting quarterback in the NFL. He's a limited player who is fine 
if you ask him to do limited things. That's what he's at. So just because something is less than ideal doesn't mean it's bad. So the pass rush, I don't think was ideal last year. When you spend as much money as the Bills did on defensive line, I would feel pretty comfortable in saying it was less than ideal. Now, the stat that you measured, about 25% pressure rate with 2.5 seconds or less, right? There are interesting stats because whether or not you care about things like pressure rate overall, pass rush win rate, you can tell different stories about the Buffalo Bills pass rush. And if you only isolate one statistic, one metric, you can tell kind of whatever story you want about the Bills pass rush. I will say that having a one technique who commands double teams will help. Having Ed Oliver back to his more normal spot more often, and I don't want to overstate that point. It's not like he played exclusively one tech because him and Quentin Jefferson were swapping out there. But he was paying, playing more one tech than he should have been playing by any accounts. So that's part of it. I think another year for AJ Epinesa helps. And all these things matter. I think Matt Milano being healthy helps because Matt Milano is a good blitzer. And so I think all these things go together. And when you think about the draft picks that Brandon Bean has had, a lot of them have broken out year three. And Ed Oliver is coming into, you guessed it, year three. So I think all these things together means it's not ideal. But that doesn't mean it's bad. So I'm not freaking out about it. But at this point, given how well Brandon Bean has filled needs in this offseason, all of a sudden, Edge just starts to climb up a little bit higher. And that's the interesting thing. Once Brandon Bean signs backup quarterback, right? once he signs Emmanuel Sanders, then all of a sudden that edge starts to kind of slowly slip up the category as far as what the needs are for this Buffalo Bills team. And I think that that's interesting because when you get to the draft, CB2 and edge might be the two most obvious needs depending on how you feel about tight end at that point. You know, there may be a scenario where Brandon B adds a body or two. Maybe the Zach Ertz thing does end up coming to fruition. I am making sure that I refresh Twitter as I am talking to you in the event that that happens live while we're talking. So I do think that the pass rush can be upgraded. I also don't think we need to freak out about it. So I think that there's room for both those things to be true. There's room for let's not freak out about pass rush and also room for I think the pass rush pass rush needs to be a little better than it was before. Luke, you are on with Bruce. What you got for me, man? Hey, Bruce. How's it going? Dude, it, 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 I'm rocking and rolling all the time. How's, How could I not be? Perfect. How's the weather where you are? Nice try, FBI. <laughs> 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 what can I do um, for you, man? I just uh, I wanted to talk about uh, Returner mm-hmm. um, with with losing um, our Returner from last year, obviously. Um, how realistic do you think it is to make a run at a guy like Cordero Patterson, who can also you know be a gadget guy for us, line up out wide, line up in the backfield? Um, I also someone I haven't heard a lot of people talk about except for Joe Marino is uh, Khalif Raymond, who I think we could probably get on the cheap. Um, or do you think we should just go after a guy in the drafts and be like a Kadarius Tony? Um, 
yeah, I just wanted to know your thoughts on returner and where we sit with that. I don't know how I feel about Isaiah McKenzie being the guy if we do bring him back. So, yeah, I just wanted to know your thoughts on that. Cool. Thanks a lot, Luke. I appreciate that. So I like veteran return man. So I'm going to openly admit a bias. I like veteran return men. Because one of the things that's really important to me when it comes to returning is ball security. And that's something that is kind of learned. If I have someone who I know can do the job, it's one of the reasons why I liked Andre Roberts so much. Andre Roberts was a good return man. He wasn't overly explosive return man, but he made correct decisions. And one of the things I think we take for granted when it comes to return men is the opportunity cost of not making good decisions. And everyone looks at just return average, right? That's it. That's, 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 all, that's all they look at, just return average. Oh, it's an extra two yards. That, that's not the correct way of measuring returners. Deciding when to fair catch a punt, deciding when to let it bounce, deciding when to bring it out of the end zone, deciding things like this matter. And there's tons of hidden yards every single time you make a wrong call. Every time you bring it out when you shouldn't have brought it out, every time you let it bounce when you shouldn't have let it bounce, every time you fair catch when you shouldn't have fair caught, that affects starting field position. And starting field position has been proven to have a significant impact on points per drive. And so I like vets in those roles. Now, Cordero Patterson is a kick returner, not a punt returner. So this is important. He's mostly a kick returner. So I'm, I'm down with it. I'm absolutely down with it. I was more down with it before the Bills re-signed Taiwan Jones because I thought, well, Cordero Patterson can basically be RB3. I know that he's been historically listed as wide receiver, but he actually played a little bit of wide, uh, running back last year. I'm like, well, just play him at running back then. He gives you a little speed out of the backfield if you need it. He can return kicks for you. At that point, maybe we just need a punt returner. A little bit, at least half the problem solved. So I would be for it. As far as Khalif Raymond goes, I would be okay. If you want to bring him back instead of Isaiah McKenzie, I'd be fine with that, quite frankly. So I'm completely on board with it. But return is still a need for me. And I don't really love drafting somebody who's a returner. It's just not a huge, I'm willing to do it. But veteran experience, returning punts and kicks matters a lot to me because decision-making carries with it hidden yardage. So I think that's really important. Mike, you are on with Bruce. Talk to me, man. Mike, are you there? Mike, I am so sorry, man. We must have lost you. But Francisco's back on the line. What you got, man? Oh, back for round two, Bruce. I really appreciate the uh, the pass rusher take, though. I think that's, you made some really good points. Mm-hmm. I, I wanted to talk a little bit about uh, cornerback targets as well for the draft. I personally am a Ifeta Melifonwu trooper. I'm from the Syracuse area. I've seen him play a lot. I think he's got great <laughs> measurables. Zone, he's great for a zone guy. I was wanted to see what your targets are at 30 or maybe uh, in the second or third round. Okay, so my first target is Greg Newsom. I think that Greg Newsom is one of those players who, if it wasn't for two fairly significant things, would be a top 10 pick in the draft. So one of the things that's interesting, I, I talked about this a lot when we talked about free agency. I am a huge fan of buying low. And if you're already picking at 30, 
that's a really good opportunity to buy low. And what I mean by that is I'm not saying buy somebody you shouldn't buy at that point, right? I'm not saying draft a player, buy an asset that you shouldn't get. What I'm saying is, are there opportunities for players who wouldn't normally be at 30? Now, on one hand, this is how the Bills ended up with Willis McGahee, because that's the reason they picked him. But that broke the no running backs in the first round rule that you know I love so much. But Greg Newsom has two things that hold him back, and it's sample size and injury concerns. And if it wasn't for those two things, I think Greg Newsom has every single tool and trait you want. I like Newsom better than Asante Samuel Jr. I like him better than Tyson Campbell. I like Elijah Molden, but Newsom's got a little bit more size. I like him better than Sean Wade, clearly. I like him better than Ifeatu Melifonwu. So I don't have a problem with Melifonwu. I don't have a problem with Stokes. Paulson Adebo is someone who I think that was a really popular first-round target last year. And then he kind of had a down year and went back to school. And we all just sort of forgot about him. But Aaron Robinson from UCF and Israel Mukwamu from South Carolina are players that I think potentially are day one, day two cornerback targets. And I like Tyson Campbell. I like him as a toolsy projection, though. I actually don't love his tape all that much. I'm okay with it. But he's one of those players like Josh Allen or Dawson Knox that you're taking because of the tools and trusting your coaches to turn him into something as opposed to his running mate, Eric Stokes at Georgia, who I actually think had better tape. But the other Syracuse corner, Trill Williams is someone who's second, third round. If he's still there, I take him. Both the Syracuse corners are good. So I think this is a great class for a corner in the first or second or third round. I'll be really disappointed, but let's be honest, I'm expecting to be disappointed. I'm expecting for the Bills to not take a corner. Last year, I was pounding the table corner, 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 corner. And then we picked AJ Epinesa. I was like, okay, well, I wanted Christian Fulton. When I saw Christian Fulton was going to be available at our pick, I was screaming into the ether and typing all caps on Twitter. And saying, for the love of all that is holy and sacred, give me Christian Fulton. And then that didn't happen. And then we took Dane Jackson, a scrappy 4-6 corner from Pittsburgh in the seventh round, who is aggressive and tackles well. And I'm like, well, that's on brand. That's what we do. And I'm not mad about it. I like Dane Jackson. But I really, really want to get a better athlete so the Bills can play a more significant variation of coverage. And I think that this is a good draft to do it. I think the Bills' needs are lining up with where the talent is in the draft. And I hope they take advantage of it. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Ladies and gentlemen, we have a celebrity. We have a celebrity who decided to join me. 
Sterling Furrow, co-host of the Hoof Podcast on the Cover One Podcast Network. He is here with me, Sterling, my man. How you doing, dude? Bruce, no, you're the GOAT, man. No celebrity here. <laughs> I, I, I dude, thank you for joining me. Yeah, dude, I had to come check you out because you know I'm a big fan, but uh, you know I come to give you crap. So, you know I'm, I'm team running back first round. You already know mm-hmm. this. And I do. And the recent moves the Bills have made, tell me I'm crazy for the Bills wanting a running back in the first round. And just, let me caveat by saying this. As we've seen, Brandon Bean's filling a lot of holes. And I, I really do think that this is the year they go heavy offense. What are your thoughts? Okay, so I would not be shocked at all. And this is really important that I make a distinction at this point between what I think and what I want. So I've been very clear on podcasts I've done in the past when I've talked about what I think the Bills will do versus what I want the Bills to do. There is a very specific line there, and I'm drawing it right now. When Brandon Bean was asked about running backs in the first round and he talked about running backs in the first round. There was a couple of things he said. Number one, they have to be able to contribute the pass game. There are running backs in this draft who can contribute in the pass game. The second thing he said was Christian McCaffrey specifically was a quote, sleep good at night pick, end quote. I don't think it's off the table for the Bills at all to take someone like Travis Etienne at 30. I don't know. I wouldn't be thrilled with it because I don't think it's great value. And also I wouldn't be thrilled with it because I think Javante Williams is the best running back in this class. However, if the bills are the way that Sterling mentioned, if the bills are loading up their other needs specifically so that they can get the best player available. And they think Travis Etienne is an explosive playmaker who's going to help them, whether they're handing him the ball or throwing him the ball, then I wouldn't be shocked if they did it. Brandon Bean has never said anything specifically that indicates that he's against running back in the first round as on a principle. And because he's never said that, and because of all the other things he has said about it, that to me opens the door for him to do it. Now, again, I don't think it's appropriate value. It would be just like taking a kicker in the second round or a punter in the third round. I don't think those things, long snapper in the third round, for example, I don't think those are appropriate positional value. However, I don't think there's a single thing that he's done during his tenure here that would indicate that there's a chance that he's just not going to, he's just not going to draft a running back because he's just against it completely. I did see Francesco in the chat says, I did see that Kyle Fuller was just released. He's going to be too expensive. For my taste, I would love I would love to pull a Dawkins and a Tredavious White restructure and go get me some Kyle Fuller. I'd be thrilled. But you have to understand that Kyle Fuller, the reason he's released is because he held the feet of he held the feet of the Chicago Bears to the fire because he knew they needed cap space. He would have preferred an extension to get that cap space. So he knows he can get paid. They didn't cut him because he's not a good player. They didn't cut him because he can't get paid on the open market. He knew they needed cap space and said, okay, fine, extend me then. 
and they couldn't come to an extension. And so they cut him. So Kyle Fuller is going to get paid, like paid, paid. And I don't think the Bills want to have that amount of money tied up into corner. One of the reasons why I want to draft somebody is because I want the rookie years of that drafted player's contract to line up with the Tredavious White extension. So you never have two people on fat extensions at the same time. It creates a scenario where you are well managing your money because you don't have a large portion of your cap tied up into one position because the bills are very likely going to have one position that's tying up a lot of their cap very soon. And it's going to be quarterback. So I don't really want to pay $32 million a year in my corner room. And I love corners. You know this about me. I'm hashtag team cornerback. I'm coverage over pass rush guy. And I still don't want to put another 15 to $17 million into the cornerback market, which is what Kyle Fuller might get. So I would be thrilled with Kyle Fuller. I just, I don't, I don't think it's, I don't think it's feasible by any means. Now I have someone on me with me right now who has historically messaged me on Instagram, but he's not on Instagram. Now he's on locker room with me and it's Mr. Grappling science. What's going on, dude? What's up, Bruce? Can you hear me? I can hear you. Great. Awesome. Um, yeah, I was just wondering, um, how do you think if at all, like the lack of a preseason in 2020, um, affected that season and also how might that be affecting, uh, free agency now? And also like, do you think there will even be a, a preseason 2021? Okay. So the thing that I think was most interesting about the COVID weird off season in 2020 was it really put new coaches behind the eight ball because the bills were widely praised and widely talked about having a tremendous amount of continuity going from 19 to 20. They talked about it ad nauseum, that the bills were returning a huge percentage of their starters. That was a huge benefit to the Buffalo bills in 2020. I'm not saying it was the reason they were good. That's not what I'm saying. Josh Allen took a huge step forward. Stefan Diggs was brilliant, but not having to learn new systems via Zoom is a big deal. I that I thought Kevin Stefanski deserved to be coach of the year. I was like, well, the Bills were better. Well, yes, that's true. That that's not what coach of the year means. It's not just who has the best record because Kansas City would have gotten the coach of the year in that case. It's based on circumstances that revolve around your coaching job. Who did the best job of coaching that year? And part of that is what kind of adversity were you faced with? And Kevin Stefanski having to bring in a brand new system and try to teach all of the offensive and defensive systems via Zoom and then manage to turn around a historically inept franchise during the process is a reasonably significant achievement. So because of that, I think it, really affected teams like that more than teams like the Buffalo Bills. I do think there's going to be a preseason in 2021. I think by that time, there will be enough people vaccinated. I think that when you look at the plans for the attendance in the stadium, all these things seem to trend toward there will be a, there will be a 
preseason in 2021. Sterling says, who's going to play Buffalo Nickel? I hope it's Thompson Osterldeen. That's who I hope plays Buffalo Nickel. Because if Jeremiah Owusu-Koromoa falls to 30, I will scream at my television, Sterling. I will scream at it. I will be running around my kitchen. And I'll be running around, looping through the kitchen to the living room, back to the kitchen, back to the living room like my dog when he's really, really excited because he just got out of the bath. When those things happen, I want Jeremiah Owusu-Koromoa. And I don't think he's going to make it there. But let's be honest, that phrase, I don't think he's going to make it there, has never been shakier than it is this year. He's not going to be there in the third, or he'll be with her, he'll be way, way, way behind, or he'll get taken way earlier. He'll get taken way later. Are our perceptions of reaches and steals will never be worse than it is this year. Because the amount of data that we have as fans and as non-connected analysts has never been less connected to the NFL because the NFL has never been less connected and less sure. And there's never been less of a consensus on prospects because you have all of this sample size issue. You have all these players who opted out of 2020 and different teams are going to look at that differently. And that's going to swing evaluations wildly from one team to another. For example, if you have a player who opted out of 2020, what do you do with that year? Do you just go on the tape? Do you just leave it where it lays? Or do you assume he's been working out and you assume that some of the flaws that you may have seen on tape may have been adjusted out of them by personal coaching, by training in the meantime? How do you, how do you approach that? Different teams are going to value that differently. And because of that, that phrase, well, he won't be there, or he might not be there, or he'll definitely be there. That's never going to make less sense. I will never be dumber when it comes to my mock draft than I am this year. And that's the truth. I'm going to do a mock draft, again, for Buffalo Rumblings. A whole seventh round, 32 team, the whole thing. And I'd be thrilled if I got a handful of picks right. (laughs) Because it's going to be bonkers. It's going to be absolutely insane. But I would take Hamza Nasruddin every minute of every day from Florida State as that Buffalo nickel. So, moving along, I want to talk a little bit about Taiwan Jones. The Bills decided to re-sign Taiwan Jones. There was a question there. Brandon Bean sort of said, hey, we agree with Taiwan Jones. And then Taiwan Jones was like, well, it's not quite yet. And then it was done. And then Buffalo Bills social media actually announced it. I'm happy with this. One of the things that's interesting about Matt Hawk is that he didn't necessarily end up with some of the best stats when it came to punters, but he did have really good hang time. In fact, he had fairly equivalent hang time to Corey Bohorkas. And that makes you wonder if he had really good gunners, would his numbers have looked better? And Taiwan Jones is one of the best punt gunners in football. So if I want to maximize Matt Hawk, if I think that he could be just as good as Corey Bohorkas and he just wasn't in the right environment, the way I do that is by making sure Taiwan Jones is still back. So I'm a big fan. I'm absolutely in favor of bringing back Taiwan Jones. I, you know me. I would be completely fine running back the running back room. No pun intended. Actually, you know what? All the puns intended. 
literally all the puns are intended. If you want to run back running back, I'm good. If you want to just have Devin Singletary, Zach Moss, Taiwan Jones, I'm good with it. If you want to bring back TJ Yeldon on a one-year vet minimum deal, I'd be fine there too. I am hashtag team do nothing at the running back position, for sure. No question at all. Ian, Ian Loretto, you are on with Bruce. What you got for me, buddy? Hey, Bruce, how you doing? Dude, I'm awesome. How are you doing? Uh, I'm so good. I'm so good. Uh, I apologize. I jumped in a little bit late. Um, so if you've got this question already, I, I do apologize. Um, no worries. But I'm just curious, um, what are your thoughts with, like, uh, how the rest of the division shaken out with some of the other moves? Obviously, the Pats have been spending money like it's candy. But I'm just mm. curious what your thoughts are with how the division's shaken out. Sure. So I talked about this a little bit on the pod that dropped today. But I can elaborate a little bit on it. Now, since that happened, the Dolphins have signed Will Fuller, which I really like as a move for them. They needed somebody who could take the top off a defense who wasn't Jakeem Grant. Listen, I held on to the Jakeem Grant truther label for a long time. For a long time, I was like, nope, Jakeem Grant, he just needs a chance to prove that he's more than just a return guy and he can be a fully-fedged wide receiver. I'm not willing to do it anymore. I let go. I took my L. I said, nope, I don't think he's it. And so Will Fuller is a great, great addition to them because that's someone who can separate vertically because Devontae Parker is not that guy. Devontae Parker is a possession guy and a contested catch guy and a physical guy, but he's not going to take the top off a defense. So Will Fuller is a good fit there for sure. And if they have maybe run out of patience with Tua and they end up picking a quarterback at three, then it'd be nice to have more than one significantly viable target on the outside. Now, Mike Jacecki is a good tight end, but nice to have a secondary wide receiver there who works. So I am in favor of that move if I'm a Dolphins fan. I didn't love the Shaq Lawson for Bernardrick McKinney move. I think Shaq Lawson is a better defensive end than Bernardrick McKinney as a linebacker. So I think that's probably a net downgrade for them. I loved the Isaiah Wilson trade. For them swapping seventh round picks it's nothing right you gave up nothing for a guy that was a first round pick last year now i know he i know he's had serious issues but there's no risk you gave up nothing so there's no harm in not doing it so i'm completely cool if i'm a Miami dolphins fan about the isaiah wilson maneuver and so some of the things that miami has done i'm like yeah okay but they've actually been a little bit more passive than I thought they were going to be. I kind of thought they'd maybe go in on it a little bit more. I really like the Justin Coleman move as a cornerback. I think Coleman had a down year, but he played really well before last year. So I think there's a chance that if he recaptures his form in a different defense, that there's an opportunity for Coleman to be a steal for them. Cole, Justin Coleman could be Miami Dolphins' Daryl Williams, someone who signed for a, a, a deal in the $2 million range and then all of a sudden balls out and gets a good contract next offseason. So, yeah, the Dolphins are fine. Um, with the Jets, I like Carl Lawson. I, I'm not sure how I feel about – I'm not sure how I feel about um, – $50 million a year for Carl Lawson. Now, I will say I knew the $8.8 .8 million for Carl Lawson 
that was projected on spot track. I knew that that was low. I said that I was like, man, if you can get it for $8.8 million, sign me up all day long. But the Jets haven't had a good pass rusher since John Abraham. I mean, they got to do what they got to do. Corey Davis, I actually thought was going to get paid more. So three years, $37.5 million. Completely fine with that. Keelan Cole, I like. Had a one-year $5.5 million contract. Um, I like Robert Sala. So overall, I'm good if I'm a New York Jets fan. I'm good with what they're doing. As far as New England goes, New England got better. They did. They got better. They didn't get better efficiently. And my problem with New England and their method of attacking free agency is my same problem with taking your running back in the first round. It's not that they didn't get any good players. They got some good players. But their resource allocation was terrible. So Bo Allen's a perfectly reasonable player, you know, get $2 million for him. Matt Judon's a fine player. Hunter Henry's a good player. Kyle Van Noy's okay. Jonas Smith's a good player. But they're not that good. The two highest amounts of guaranteed money ever given out to a tight end, ever, in the NFL history, were given out by New England this week. That's ridiculous. And having two tier two tight ends doesn't mean you have one tier one tight end. That's not how this works. It's like if you have two average quarterbacks, it doesn't mean you have one really good quarterback. That's not how this works. So Hunter Henry is a perfectly good tight end. Johnny Smith is a perfectly good tight end. But neither one of them are Gronk and Hernandez. But stylistically, that might be what you see. A lot of 12 personnel, a lot of flex it out, then pull it in. The ability for Jonu Smith to move around, get matchups, try and put you in a scenario where if you're in base, you're too slow. And if you're in nickel, you're too small. Make sure you run the ball with Cam Newton and some powerful running backs behind him. Yeah, I can see it. But when has this ever worked out for anybody? When has a team who spent the most money in free agency, when has that ever worked out ever? There's a reason for that. It's because you have to get good players and pay them like great players. And if you do that, every time you pay a good player, a great player salary, every time you do that, you're sucking away resources that you could be using somewhere else. And the Patriots just did it a billion times. So for me, I'm like, okay, you know, I, I get it. I understand you had to get better. New England wasn't a talented team last year. So of course they were going to get better. But they got better inefficiently. So moving along, Francesco's back. Back again. Well, Francesco, I think I lost you, man. Try back again. Grappling Science is back on the line with me. What you got, man? So uh, do you think that um, – I know this is a small data set, but do you think that, like, tight end and having an elite pass-catching tight end has almost become a prerequisite for a Super Bowl team? Like, if you just look back at the last few years at least, um, or about, like, the last five years, it's either been Gronk or Kittle or Kelsey or Ertz in the Super Bowl every year, whether it's the winning or the losing team. 
Is it just that much of like a cheat code to have somebody of that size and stature who's that athletic and able to to catch you know balls underneath and um, go for uh, you know a l- large amounts of yard after the catch and everything like that? Okay, so I don't think it's a prerequisite, but I do think it's a cheat code. So one of the things that's interesting is you can't really go looking for those players because there, there aren't even 32 of them. There aren't even 10 of them in the NFL. These players that can block like a lineman and run routes like a wide receiver, there's just not that many humans on the planet who do that type of thing. And so when you get one, you are at an extreme advantage. When you get Travis Kelsey, and a lot of people don't give Travis Kelsey credit for his blocking because they're comparing him to Kittle. Travis Kelsey coming out of Cincinnati was a monster blocking. Mean streak. Absolute monster. Kittle obviously loves to block. And having somebody who can block like a lineman and catch like a receiver and maybe even separate vertically down the scene is absolutely a cheat code and so those teams have a leg up but i think the the thing to take away from that conversation is don't go looking for them don't try and force someone to be that human when they're not that human don't build your offense around the idea that if you just get that human you'll be okay because they don't make that many humans it's the same reason why nfl teams shouldn't go looking for the next josh allen Don't do it. They don't make any more Josh Allens. Josh Allen is a rare bird. If you go looking for the next Josh Allen, you know what? If we just get this big, tall ball of traits, we can coach him up. No, you probably can't. The numbers and the probabilities say you probably can't. Josh Allen's an exception to the rule. Josh Allen is a unique specimen. You don't go looking for Josh Allen. In the same way that you don't look and say, well, gosh, you know what we need to do? We need to go find us a Travis Kelsey. Because they don't make Travis Kelseys. It's just a rare thing. And if you happen to fall into one, then sure. But don't be chasing outliers. Grappling Science in the comments say, chasing outliers. Don't chase outliers. And tight ends like that are so rare in this league. So because they're so rare, they give teams a leg up. But I can't view it as a prerequisite because what that means is that basically, like, if you don't have one, you don't have a shot. Well, I I don't think I'd go that far. And the reason I wouldn't go that far is because there's going to be a lot of teams that don't have them. Also, Zach Ertz, I don't think falls in that category. Zach Ertz, coming out of college, perfectly reasonable athlete. He was okay. He was a perfectly fine athlete. But he's not not this, this freak athlete that people think of when they think of some of these other tight ends. Zach Ertz coming out of college uh, ran the 40 and 476. He had a 277 20-yard split, 1.68 10-yard split, 24 reps on the bench, 6'5", 249, 9.6-inch hands, 31.6-inch arms. His vertical jumps were, his vertical jump was 35 and a half, his broad jump was a little over nine feet. That's an RAS score of 6.36. That means he is in the 63rd percentile 
of tight ends in his class. He's a slightly above average athlete. He's not in the same group. And the reason I bring that up, of course, is because now there's a possibility that the Bills could be on the trade hunt for Zach Ertz. Zach Ertz is a perfectly reasonable tight end. If you think he's going to come in and give us a dynamic or explosive presence, that's not what he does. He's really good at finding spots in zone. He is quarterback friendly, which is why I like him. He understands where to be, but he's not explosive or dynamic. He's reliable, reasonable, has good hands, and will always be where he's supposed to be. He's in that tier two of tight ends, below the people like Darren Waller, and below the people like Kelsey, and below the people like Kittle. He's in that tier, along with the Hunter Henrys of the world. So for me, and also he's, he's older than them. So that's really important to note about Zach Ertz. It's just really important that we know what we're getting into in the event that he does decide that he's going to have a little chat with the Bills. And the Bills are going to have a little chat with Howie Roseman. And they're going to say, listen, remember that fifth round pick I offered you? Looking pretty good now that all the other tight ends are getting scooped up across the league. Ain't that right, Howie? All right, last question of the day goes to Bryce. Bryce, you're on mute, so make sure you unmute yourself. But last question of the day goes to Bryce, and then I'll get on out of here. What you got for me, Bryce? Wow, that's, that's, a, that's a lot of pressure, Bruce, putting the last question before I know, man. you say anything. I know. <laughs> a couple things. One, I don't know if you're trying to drop subtle hints that you're an economics professor. I'm talking about opportunity cost, resource allocation. Um, as an, a former economics student myself, uh, you know, I'm, I'm hearing, I'm hearing little, little, little breadcrumbs here and there. Okay. So that's a really good way to end this for sure. That's a really, that's a really good way to end this pod. So if you ask Sterling, who is in the, in the chat who I talked to earlier, if you ask Sterling, he thinks I'm a preacher. And then other people have said I'm an economics professor or a math teacher. I've gotten lawyer. I've gotten chemist. I've gotten physicist. I've gotten a lot of those things. And here's the truth. I wouldn't tell you if you got it right. So, I mean, don't get me wrong. It's fun to hear you guess. But I wouldn't tell you if you got it right. So, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for being here. I hope you had a good time. I had a good time. The fact that every time I do this, more and more people show up to talk to me is amazing. It's absolutely staggering to me that you take time out of your day at 7.50 p.m. Eastern time on a Thursday and decide you're going to hop on here with me and chat some Buffalo Bills. It means so much to me. You guys make this whole thing go. So thank you for everything that you do. And until next time, that's the way the cookie crumbles. I'm Bruce Nolan, Buffalo Rumblings.